Now, I am in week number three of our brand new series. You can pull out your message notes. You can follow along through the app. Uh, if you got your Bibles, a great time to pull them out. Before we do that, though, I heard a joke that I'm, I'm kind of in this joke phase right now, but it's about an elderly lady, and she came to church on a Sunday morning, and the friendly usher, he greeted her and said, ma'am, where would you like to sit? Well, the lady responds, well, I'd like to sit on the front row uh, if I could, he said, oh, no, ma'am, you, you don't want to sit there. She said, why not? She said, he, he said, My, our pastor's so boring, he's going to put you to sleep. So let me sit you somewhere else. And this lady was appalled. She said, sir, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am. He said, I'm the pastor's mom. <laughs> the man uh, hung his head in embarrassment. He was so embarrassed and uh, thought about it quickly. And he asked her a question, ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, thank God. <laughs> All right. I have decided. I have decided. Uh, so excited about this series in particular. I feel like it's a mandate on me and our church. Uh, what we have been talking about is the invitation of Jesus, the decision to be a Christ follower, that how Jesus extends this invitation for the crowd to become a disciple. And uh, we've been talking about what are the qualities of discipleship? What are the characteristics of a disciple? What kind of decisions do we need to make if we're going to follow Jesus? So basically what I'm trying to do is put some handles on the idea of being a follower of Jesus and a disciple. Now last week we talked about the five stages of discipleship and how every one of us are in one of those areas and we should be looking to move our life forward to the next stage. We also talked about some more decisions. Last week we talked about the decision to follow Jesus and not culture. We talked about the decision to live according to God's word and not popular opinion. We talked about the decision to live by conviction, not personal convenience. And really last weekend was my attempt to bring biblical clarity in a secular culture. Uh, I've had a lot of people say, Pastor, I'd, I'd like to go back and watch it. Where can I watch it? Just go to the app. Everything you need is in that app. And you can actually share it, watch it, whatever you'd like. I'd encourage you, if you were not here last weekend... Uh, it's a great message for you to go back and watch. As you can see, some of the decisions that I have made as, as I've gone into this series, I'm not trying to talk at you. And I hope you feel that. Like, I'm not telling you, God, I'm just telling you the decisions I'm making and, and some clarity that I'm bringing back into my life. And even as a church, listen, they may not agree with us, the world. Um, sometimes you may not always agree, but we're going to be very clear with where God he, 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 his word says about topics that can be taboo, the challenging ideas. And I, I don't know about you, I, I don't want to build a church full of people that came to join a crowd. I want to build a church of people that came to join a body and uh, that we follow Jesus. And so, if, again, if you didn't listen last week, I'd encourage you. Uh, today, I want us to understand the heart of God. So we talked about decisions. We talked about qualities, characteristics, the stages. What is the heart of God? Like, what is important to God? Is, is he have a mission? Is there something that he is focused on? And my goal by the end of today's message is you will not only know what is important to God, but you're going to know how to join God in the mission that he has for us. We're going to go into Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. 
Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is a story of Zacchaeus. Uh, back in Sunday school, we used to sing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little... Ain't nobody else heard that little man? I got one person. Thank you, Ashley. Good Baptist right there. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> we got a generation that doesn't even know those songs, you know, and it's... So Zacchaeus, who is he? He is a chief tax collector that Jesus passes by, and because of one encounter with Jesus, his life is forever changed. One encounter. Let's, let's read it. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he wasn't, he wasn't even planning on staying. He's passing through. He's got an agenda. He's going to do ministry. And there's a man named Zacchaeus who is there. He's a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, if you're not familiar with Jewish culture, I need to just point out who this man would be to people. He would be a thief. He would be the lowest of lows. He would be what they would consider a crook. Tax collectors actually collected taxes. They were Jewish people collecting taxes for Rome from other Jewish people. So they would consider him a traitor. You're a traitor. You've gone to the other side. You're, you're not only the low of lows, you are scum of the earth. Because not only would they collect Rome's taxes from the Jewish people, they typically took extra so they could line their pockets and get rich as well. So they're getting rich off the, the pain and suffering of the people that they're a part of. And uh, so here we see him, and that's who he is. So we're identifying who he is. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. I love that because not what Jesus did, but who Jesus was. And I am convinced there is a world that is hungry to see who Jesus really is. Not religion, not who others say he is, but don't know him or have the power of, the, of God, but who Jesus is. When, when they see who Jesus is, I'm convinced the world will be hungry. It continues, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, what I love about that passage right there is uh, Zacchaeus is a dignified man. He would have been rich. He'd have had status with the Romans. He wouldn't have climbed up in just a tree because. What that shows is that this man is actually hungry to see if this Jesus could feel the pain in his life. He was willing to get out of his comfort zone. There's some hunger in his life. And uh, so he does that. He gets up in the tree, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you thief. Hey, sinner of sinners. Hey, scoundrel. He, no, 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 no. He, he didn't label him. He called him, and I love it. He called him by his name. How many know God calls you by your name? I need you to know God sees you. Not the labels, not the pseudo-identity, but God sees the real you. And when you have been seen by God, whoo, that'll change your life. And so Zacchaeus, come on down, and I'm going to stay at your house today. I, I, I just, I know I keep commenting, but you recognize this is that he didn't ask Zacchaeus to come to his house, come to my church. Now, there's a place for all of that, and we'll talk about it. What, what he says is, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your mess, your hurts, your habits, your hangups. And, and, and I could just imagine in this day, and we read what happens in the next verse, says, all the people saw him and began to mutter. Jesus don't care. 
He's after those that are hungry. He's, he's like, hey, Zacchaeus is hurting and he's hungry. He's pursuing me. And so here we see Jesus. Oh, you can write about it on Reddit. You can label it in a newspaper. You can put it on social media. And Jesus is like, I don't even care because I'm on an assignment. So he goes to his house. People begin to talk. He has gone to be with the guest of sinners. Well, here's what I would ask. Where else would Jesus be? See, they expect him to be in the church house. That's where dignified Christians are. And I'm telling you, there's a place for that. But you're not going to fulfill God's assignment if we camp out in the church house. I think it's okay to have a label given to me because I'm doing the mission of God. But Zacchaeus, he stood up. And now this is what we see. It's, It's really after he spent some time and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I have half my possessions and I'm going to give them to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So he has lunch with Jesus. And because of his encounter with Jesus, he now begins a radical shift in the way that he is living his life. Jesus said to him, today... Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Today, if I was going to title the the message, I'd say living on mission. Living on mission. God loves lost people. I need you to hear me. The ones that we as believers can tend to judge and look at with disdain and Forget that we was one of them. The ones we shun and push away because they don't talk like us and act like us and live like us because they judge us and say harsh things about us. I need you to know God loves lost people. In fact, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. In John 3, 16, we see the mission of God for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This story is a living demonstration of God's heart for lost people. That Jesus came to humanity, lived a sinless life, gave up his life, died on a a cold cross, a brutal death. He was buried, but he didn't stay in the grave. Aren't you glad our God is not on a shelf? Our God is not buried in a grave, but he was resurrected back to life by God. And because of that, the blood of Jesus extends the opportunity for us to experience salvation. Jesus is on a rescue mission. And many of us have heard the story of the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but I'm going to go to the last part of it now. Jesus has been resurrected, and he spends 40 days on the earth, and he has appeared, according to Paul, to some 500 people or or so, and he's encouraging them and talking to them. He's with the disciples, and they're, they're experiencing Jesus, but then as he is about to ascend to heaven, this is the last assignment Jesus is going to give, and we find it, we call it the Great Commission. Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Well, what's the good news? It's the message that humanity can be saved from the penalty of our sin. 
that everyone has an opportunity to receive eternal life with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is simply put our trust in him. You cannot work for salvation. You can't tip the scales into heaven to make it into heaven. Nope, you receive his free gift by grace through faith. Now, once we receive it, it's time to get to work. It's time to move forward. It's time to advance the gospel. And that's his commission is, hey, we're going to go everywhere. Matthew 28 says it like this, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our church, and I want you to hear me in this, we're not a church just for Christians. Our mandate is, yes, we're going to raise disciples, but we're here, at, we're a church that's reaching the lost. We're going to go out and make disciples. We're going to live in this world and not be of this world, but we're not going to be absent. The worst thing we could do is go build some camp out in some property and all of us go huddle up and wait for Jesus to come back. God has given us an assignment, and that's to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And here's my challenge for, for us is if we're not careful, I've always been a pastor. So I see it on this side a little differently. You know, I'd go to church, and we talk about making disciples. I'd be like, go ahead, Pastor. You got it. And not realizing that that assignment for me as your pastor is to make disciples, but really, I'm called to equip you for the working of ministry. We could get it confused and say, well, only people who are in full-time ministry do ministry. No, 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 no. You're a disciple. There are some who will have a vocation of, and their only job is to equip you to be more effective to do your assignment, which is ministry in the world that you live in, that we're called to go into the world. And I realize there's really two places for people. Some of you are finding God. So you may be here today, and your whole goal, listen, it's not even to be a disciple. It's, God, I need you. You're the Zacchaeus. You didn't get up in a tree, but you came to church. You're watching online. You're saying, I want to know and investigate. Are the claims of Jesus real? Is he real? Does God love me? Is this real or not? And how does it impact my life? And I want you to know you're in the right place. You do not have to believe to belong. You just keep coming back to experience the power of God. But then there are those of us, we've already experienced it. So now it's our turn and our responsibility to go out and to search for the lost. And let me just be real clear. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. But we're called to go bring Jesus to the world. We're called to be the salt and the light. And so we must own that responsibility, whatever your world is. Maybe you're a student. That school is your world. Maybe you're employed. That workplace is your world. Maybe you own the business. Those employees are your world. Those vendors are your world. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. That is your world, but we are all called into the world. Why? Because God really loves lost people. He really does. And they're lost. Anybody ever lost anything? How many lost your keys this morning? That's why you walked in a little bit late. You know, you know, anybody ever lost a child, not, not by death, but just proximity? Anybody lost a child? I have four children, and uh, I, they're the greatest joy of my life. And I never forget the first time I actually lost my child. 
her, her name is Addison Grace, and we were over in the Science, Auto, uh, Science Museum in downtown Houston, and there was a whole bunch of us, and we're out there having fun and a blast. Well, the end of the day had come, and we're ready to leave, and all the families were walking out, and anytime you roll with us, we got like tribes. I mean, it's like football teams rolling up. And so we're all walking out, and hey, you got them? Yep, Addie, you seen Caden, Carson, Rayland? Yep, we're all cool. So we walk out. Well, we realize, we get back to the car, we've lost Addison. And hey, I thought you had her. No, she's not with me. Cool, we go in. No big deal. Just a couple of us go in. We go in and come back out, said she's not in there. Now, everybody in our party starts to freak out. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you thought she was there, but she's not. And your heart sinks. Have you ever had that panic attack where you're like, Oh, for real, she's lost. You know what I mean? It's like you do anything. And so it's crazy because, uh, your boy, I was out running to cars, literally stopping them, seeing if my child was in. You're like, why so extreme? Well, I watched Taken the night before. <laughs> Woo! So I'm, I'm literally, people are like, bah, bah, bah. I'm like, I don't care. Stop. I'm looking, looking for my child. Going crazy what you'll do. You don't care what you look like. You don't care what it takes. You're not trying to appease people. And you actually get frustrated at the ones who aren't trying to help you. You know? And, and so thank God, of course, you know, we're right to the place we're about to call the police. About 15 minutes later, she is back in a back corner, clueless. And it's that moment of, ah, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to for real kill you. <laughs> I wonder if that's how God thinks about us sometimes. You know, you're logical, and I'm going to kill you. But what's the point? This is what I know. You, when you lose something of value, you never take an inventory of what's found. I mean, imagine, I, I didn't say, hey, I got three of my four kids, 75%. That's pretty good. <laughs> no, I'm distracted. I'll do anything. Why? Because I lost the thing of great value. Isn't that what we hear about the story of the lost sheep? Jesus, the good shepherd, and talks of the story of the shepherd who would leave the 99 found to go and find the one. And I think Jesus is like, hey, I love you guys being at church. Now I'm talking to all the followers of Jesus. Love you being here. But can we recognize we're the 99? Like, love you. But, but I think he's distracted. And, and you know what I mean? God, he sees all things, does all things. But a heart that is passionate, that I want to do anything to reach the lost people. And here's what's more fascinating. He wants to reach the lost people in your world. Think about that. The people you know and love and come in contact with, his heart breaks for them. And so my job this morning is that I want us to be focused on the mission that God has for us. How do we do it? How do we reach lost people? Because it can be very overwhelming. You'd be like, well, pastor, you preach. You're... I got it. But it ain't about just preaching the gospel. There are some things that we can do that takes this gospel out of this building into the highways and byways in the world that we live in to reach the people God put in our path, the Zacchaeuses. How do you reach the lost? Here's the first thing. You take notes, write this down. To ask God to open your eyes. Jesus was able to see Zacchaeus. See Zacchaeus. I mean, think about it. He's on an assignment. This is passing through Jericho. This was a pit stop. This wasn't a destination. And yet he saw Zacchaeus in a way that stopped him in his track. 
And I want us to be real careful because if you recognize this is my great mission in life, then we'll prioritize the opportunities God brings to us. See, if you think that it's all the other tasks and religious steps and prayer, and yes, prayer is important in church, church is important and all the other things, what will happen is God will bring somebody in your path and you'll push the very assignment aside because we've not focused on what's really important. Jesus says, I got all those things, but here's a man who is ready to experience salvation. He's ready. So, so Jesus saw him, and he didn't see the labels that people put on him. Think about because you, you might have been back there and saw him say, oh, anybody but him, Jesus. He just fleeced us. Right. You see, because we, we like to label. They're not worthy. They're not ready. Have you ever heard someone, too? They may say one thing, but it's not words I'm judging. What are their actions? I've had people literally say negative things about me and still come to church because they were desperate yeah. and knew the presence of God was here. So it's not even the words that you hear. It's, what am I seeing? Well, what did Zacchaeus do? He got up in a tree. That's so undignified. What? Just on the hopes to see. And I think there are people in your world that if you ask God to open your eyes, they're like Zacchaeus. They're on that tree, and they're just hoping to see Jesus. And the question is, do you see what God sees? Matthew 9, 37, because the, the whole mentality can be, but you had not been in my world. There ain't nobody in my world. Well, look at what Jesus had to say. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Oh, it's out there. They're out there. But does he have people that see what he sees? And that's where for us, God, I want your eyes, fresh eyes, that when you walk out this door, I wonder if you could ask God to see what he sees. You begin to see the demonstration of people's behavior. You recognize people are hungry for God. It's organized religion they reject. God, let me see. Have you ever bought a car? Anybody ever bought a brand new car? Brand new, new used, any of that? It's funny. You get out there, buy that car. You're like, whoop, ain't nobody even got this car, much less this paint color. And then you buy it, and then lo and behold, you drive it off the lot, you see three right off the bat. <laughs> you go to your neighborhood, <laughs> and somebody in your neighborhood has that car. And you're like, well, clearly... They're following this greatness right here because I never saw it until now. See, I'm a trendsetter. What do you think that really happened or you're just now aware? I'm asking us to be aware of what God has brought into our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Making an appeal. So an ambassador is a man who, or a woman who represents a country in a foreign soil. Think about that's you. As a follower of Jesus, you represent the kingdom of God on a foreign soil. And in that moment, what's he saying? He says this, I want to make an appeal to people through you. Not just the church. Not just the pastor. Not just share this video. He wants to make an appeal to the world through your life, through your actions, through your words. God wants to use you to be an ambassador in your world. You have a mission. God, let me see with fresh eyes. Second thing is, I want to make time to connect with people. So important, the busyness of life, we want to make sure, God, I'm not too busy. Here we see Zacchaeus. Jesus is passing through. I mean, imagine how busy he is. Everybody's vying for his time. He's got assignments. I mean, he's got things. But Jesus was never too busy to read the moment. 
And so when he read the moment and he saw this opportunity, what did he do? He made time. He's going to connect with Zacchaeus. And so we see Jesus is a great connector. And we know it wasn't just time. He touched his heart because we saw that demonstrated after he had had lunch and spent some time with Jesus. He came back and put some feet behind his faith. So Jesus touches his heart. And he repents, and not only does he repent, he brings restitution. Whatever I have done wrong, I'm going to make right. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Here's the thing that Jesus did. Jesus connected before he corrected. I think we've got it backwards as the church. I think many times we want to correct, and then we'll go connect. But I wonder if we said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here not to correct. I'm here to just connect with their heart. It's, it's not, because if you don't, you'll think it's about winning an argument. It ain't about an argument. It's about a person, and it's about the heart of that person, and you can win the argument and still lose. When you love people, it opens the door for their heart to be open to the gospel. And just know this. Just because you spend time with people doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Do you understand? I, I think sometimes we've equated time with means agreement of. Jesus didn't agree with what Zacchaeus did. Like I, I don't. So, so we, when we understand that, it's like, well, I'm more open. I mean, I, just imagine who were the people that were mad at Jesus? The religious. The sinner wasn't mad. Sinner's like, God, thank you. Jesus is here to connect with me personally. And that's going to be the response of the people that God puts in your world when you don't try to correct them, but you try to connect with them. And you don't try to do it on your terms. At first, you do it on their terms. What's convenient for me? You want to learn more? Cool. Let's talk about it. How can I come into your world? You got time for lunch, coffee, breakfast. Oh, you want me to come to your house? I'll come to your house. Are you sure you want to be seen with me? I actually had someone say that to me recently. I said, brother, there ain't no other place I would rather be. If someone is going to say something, let it be because I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. Why? Because I'm on God's mission, not people's. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Look what it says. Be wise. Doesn't say be loud. Doesn't say be silent. Doesn't even say be right. It just says be wise. In the way that you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. That's what Jesus did. He saw Zacchaeus. He's hungry. I'm going to make the most of this moment. And then here's how we do it. It says let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Think about that. Here we are, full of grace. Full of grace, full of grace, seasoned with salt. One of my favorite secular people now who does this, he was once a pastor, which some people do or don't know, John Maxwell. I'm around him because of my pastor in Highlands up in Alabama, and his passion and heart for the lost is unprecedented. I've never seen anybody that is more passionate about reaching lost people and does it more effective than John Maxwell. And the way he talks about is, I never preach and try to force people to listen to what I say. I just have salty conversations and not the negative salty. Salty as in they're, they're hungry for more. So, so it would be like this. You're around someone who is lost and their marriage is struggling and you don't have to preach to them and say, man, you got to get in church. Do this, do that. You know what a better thing is? Listen to, oh man, it's so painful. Man, my, my, my marriage was dysfunctional too. 
my marriage was falling apart. And man, when I came to God, it was, he changed everything. But you, you probably don't want to hear that. But man, I just want you to know, I, I'm praying for you. What, what, what do you mean? Your marriage was like my marriage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Falling apart. Well, what did you do? Well, you're probably not going to want to know because I'm a Christian. See, by then, they, they don't care about your label. They care about an answer. Well, it doesn't matter. I got to tell me, what did you do? You see how that, it, it makes them say, I want more. There's, there's a solution to the problem, and his name is Jesus. And if we'll present him in a way, I'm convinced there is a world that is dying and going to hell that is hungry for the real Jesus. And I love that you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be present. Just present. Isn't that what Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, your life is not lived in private, it's lived in public. And there's something about it where people are seeing the way you talk and act and live, and it just, it brings glory to God, and they, they, they want to know more. They know where they can go when they have some questions and need some answers. Here's the third thing. After you connect with people, the third thing is we need to share your story of life change. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Everyone who asks you. What? To give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared. So it's like, I, I, so here, why do you go every Sunday? Man, you go every Sunday? I do. Because as believers, we gather together corporately and we experience the presence of God together. Do you, you gotta, why do you go to small groups all the time? Like you're leading one, you're in one. You know, by, by the way, today we kick off our small group semester. We got 65 small groups to choose from. And uh, we're not trying to give you something to do. We're trying to follow the mission of God. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And in finding freedom, what's interesting, I don't know if you know this, but forgiveness comes from God. We confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us. But we confess our faults, according to James 5.16, to one another so that we might experience healing. So we can't do this thing and not experience healing and freedom if we're not in relationship. And that's where I want to encourage you that we don't just live life by ourselves. And, and they'll give you, hey, why do you go? Well, because I need healing in my heart. I need to be able to experience a deeper level of what it means to be healed by God. Well, can't you just pray to God? That's not how he set it up. Nowhere does it. Yes, he'll break off the sin. Yes, he'll break off that. But healing, genuine, deep heart. So what are you doing? You're just, you're giving the reason for the hope that you have. Well, why do you serve so much? Well, because I've never been more alive than when I'm serving people. God designed it that way. I'm glad you asked. In fact, I used to feel helpless and hopeless and depressed. But the moment I started to serve at the, you know, in our dream team, what began to happen was I thought my problems were really big, but I recognized they're really not that big once I start looking to help people and serve people. What are you doing? You're just giving hope to why you do what you do, and it makes them hungry for more of God. And then I love how he says it, but do it with gentleness and respect. How many know tone matters? Tone matters. And, and what are we doing? We're just, we're being witnesses. In fact, that's what Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. This is where we got the whole idea of witnessing. 
In my generation, we used to have people go door to door and go witnessing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But it kind of got it out of context, right? It's, the, the, it's, it, it does, that's great to do, but if you don't do it the right way, it's nothing more than a religious act that really doesn't lead people to Jesus. When you look at this word witnessing, it, it kind of, let, let me explain it. Have anybody ever seen the players in a courtroom? So in a courtroom, you have a judge, you have a prosecutor, you have a defender, you have a witness. You're not the judge, that's God. You know, you're not the prosecutor, the enemy, he's the slanderer. He's the one that accuses every one of us. You're not a defender, that's Jesus. You're called, think about how easy evangelism is when you recognize your part to play. You're called to be a witness. Does a witness get up there and tell the judge what to do and judge people? No. Does he slander? No. Does he go in and try to defend? No. They just give their side of the story. Hey, Mr. Kyles, will you tell us what happened? I will. February 7, 2003, I was lost. I was strung out on drugs and alcohol. And let me tell you, I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me. It was 1230 at night. I had a visitation from God. And that next day, my life was never the same. I want to tell you about a man that changed me. You see the tone and the posture is, I'm just going to tell my story. I'm just going to share what God did in my life. And as you do, it will change your effectiveness as you live on mission. So we're opening our eyes. We're taking time to connect with people. And we're sharing our story of life change. The last and final thing, write this down if you're taking notes. We want to invite people to a place where they can experience God. Remember this, God is not about religion, it's about relationship. I don't want them just to come and hear a good worship band. I don't want them to come and hear just a good message. My whole job, I don't care if you don't remember my name, I don't even care if you don't remember the message, what I want you to do is say I connected with God. It's an encounter with him that we're looking. When you have an encounter with God, it'll take you from skeptic to believer. There's, there's, I don't need a debate. I don't, I don't need theology. I just need an encounter. That's what we saw with the Apostle Paul. You look at the story of the Apostle Paul. He is on the road to Damascus. Paul is actually persecuting Christians uh, he thought the way, which is what it was called back then, was actually a cult. So he was on a righteous war path. And yet on this road to Damascus, he has an encounter, not with religion, not a debate, not theology. He had an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter changed his theology. That encounter changed his perspective. It changed everything. And so my job and responsibility is I'm always looking for where can I put them in a place or invite them to a place where they can encounter God in a deeper way. Now, of course, when you're around them, that's awesome. You want to let them have an encounter with God at that level. Reminds me of a story of this kindergarten teacher. She was walking around her classroom as her students were drawing pictures. And she noticed this little girl drawing this picture intently. And she asked the little girl, hey, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. The teacher kind of laughed and she said, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. The little girl, without missing a beat, she said, well, they will in a minute. <laughs> that's, that's what you do. They will in a minute. It may be a little incomplete. It may not have all the perfections. Because I'm concerned evangelism has turned into, I'll do it when it's perfect. 
Just draw your little picture of God. Let them see the God that you have seen, and then constantly look for places to invite them. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to another small group. Invite them to a place where the picture can continue to be enlarged. Invite them to this church where it's like, hey, come on, extend an invitation. But, but I always just challenge that may not be the first invitation. Don't get it out of order sometimes. Now, sometimes somebody's like, hey, where do you go to church? I want to come. Okay, don't try to go back through the steps. They're ready. But I'm talking about those that are like the Zacchaeuses, those that are in the marketplace. Just Can we do that? Can we say this is what God looks like? Paint that picture. Paint that picture. Yeah, I love the fact that here, if you're here today and you don't know God, you're not a believer, disciple, follower of Jesus. I want you to hear me. You don't have to believe to belong here. You're in the right place. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to serve. You don't have to even pray. You know what your job is? Just to experience God. I just need to experience God. Because I am convinced we are focused on behavior modification in a lot of places. I want deep heart transformation. See, it's not a sin issue. See, the people say, well, you better stop sinning. No, 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 it's a heart issue. When you fall in love with God, you stop sinning. When you know God, sin stops. Some, sometimes instantly, sometimes it's a progression. But what is the focus? See, if you focus, you, you'll create what you focus on. And some of you are focused on, don't sin. Stop this. Stop that. That's what 21 days of prayer and fasting are all about. I'm focused on falling more in love with God. And as I do, everything else in my life changes. There was a lady I met out in the foyer. Fascinating. Just to hear her speak to me in... Uh, what she said captured my heart. She said, I hadn't been to church in a long time. I grew up Catholic, which we have a lot of Catholics that go here. You're welcome. I love it. My friend invited me, and this woman starts to tear up, and she said, I love it here. She just looked at me. Notice what she didn't say. She didn't say, I love your preaching. Hopefully you like it. I love your worship. She said, I love your children's ministry. I love the diversity. You know what she said? Every time I come, I feel the presence and the power of God. And that changes you. See, then you stop looking at all the imperfections. If you see something that's not perfect, I want you to know it's probably there. But you're probably the solution to fix it. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll pick places to go and spend our time on a Sunday that have a perfect this or a perfect that and a perfect this. But that's not the real question for my family. The question is, can I meet God? And that, that's where, as a, as a dad of teenagers, man, teenagers, I just want you to know your pastor loves you. I love you deeply. Parents, I love you. <laughs> but can I tell you, it's not the behavior modification. Here's, here's what I fight for as a dad. Just got to get them in a service. I got to get my kids in church and 
in a place. That's why I send them to camp. That's why I send them to moment nights. That's why I bring them with me to prayer. And they may not like it. They may fight me on it. But I'm going to put them in a place where I know God has the potential to touch them in a powerful way. Because if I can do that, man, everything else changes. Everything else changes. I found some interesting stats. This is the passion, and I'm, I'm closing with it. Is Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. He said 82% of unchurched are at least someone somewhat likely to attend a church if they were invited. 82%. Every eight out of 10 people that don't go to church that you know would at least somewhat be likely to attend if you invited them. And only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 2%. That means 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation. Here was another fascinating stat. 7 out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church in their whole life. Fascinating. Can I tell you, posting about your church is not a personal invitation. I love it. It's great. It's awesome. But, but are you seeing them? Have you gone? In, don't worry about what people say. You're pastor. You're never going to ever get any flack from me when you're hanging out with sinners. Now, just don't go do what sinners do. Like, you ain't got to go where they go and then start lowering your standard. Keep your standard. i tell you something that's really funny. The other, well, no, I'm not going to tell you because we need close. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Father, we thank you.